This morning we are in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you can turn there, if you have your Bibles, and we'll be focusing on one verse. And I will be making a, com- not a comparison, but going back and forth with the first chapter of John's Gospel, and so uh, if you want to flip in your Bibles, you can, but I will simply, just from my notes, because I've printed them out, the Scriptures, um, be reading them as we go along. But uh, I'm always amazed at this time of year, I think a lot of us are, but as I observe, as I walk about, drive about, all the activity and things that are going on. And if I, it blows my mind, again, at the busyness and the, the hustle and bustle of people all around. And, it, and actually, it seems like the traffic and, and the shopping traffic in person is a little lower. And that's because everything is bought online now, Right. So the hustle and bustle is on front of that screen or on your phone and you're ordering from Amazon or wherever else you order from or whatever you do and you're checking everything out online and people are just in this frantic frame of mind of like, oh my goodness, Christmas is coming and I got to get this and that and that and all the other done. And, and we all can get trapped by that, can't we? And so it's a reminder as we do every year that we just need to slow down. Right? And just don't be distracted. And I'll touch on that again at the end of the sermon. But just slow down. And, and, and let's, let's remember the wonder of, of what this season is. And so this morning, I want to talk about the wonders of Christmas. Now, there are a million of them. Because, and even more than a million of them. Because it all has to do with us in the end, doesn't it? Billions. But there are wonders of Christmas in our text, and, and there are many others in scriptures and in the historical account. The facts is how things happen that when we reflect, we can remember and think of how it just causes us to go, wow, how, why, because of me? In the end, and we're blown away with that wonder of how it could be that God loved us so much. You know, we think of... and. And I've never been, but I haven't seen any of the, the natural wonders of, of the natural world, you know, that, that, are, that are out there on this earth, the natural wonders, like the Grand Canyon. Some have seen it. I'm sure plenty of you have. I have not seen it. But that is something that is awe-inspiring. When you see it, you just go, whoa, how? Like, I know the, the river carved it out, you know, or I know that God stuck his finger in there and just went like this for hundreds and hundreds of miles, right? Uh, Whatever it is, but it just causes you to go, whoa. And you're filled with wonder, right? And there are other things. And when you think of Mount Everest and how tall it is and and, and then the depths of the ocean that almost 30,000 feet deep in the deepest point of the ocean, that's, that's crazy deep. Whoa. You know, it just fills you with wonder when you think about what's around us in the natural world. Then you think about how God has equipped us and created us and in His image and how we have this wisdom, the ability to learn and to be creative and how we have constructed such things as human beings that cause us to go, whoa, how'd we do that? How'd they do that? Like the Great Wall of China. A lot of people, a lot of stone, right? A lot of people. And, and, and there are other pyramids, right? The the. What's that tower in, in uh, is it Dubai or what is that? The, the Burj Khalifa, right? The, the, I think it's the tallest skyscraper in the world. Like, and it's built in a desert. Like, wow. And this thing is like almost a mile high. Well, I don't know if it's a mile, half a mile high, whatever it is. It's crazy to think. And you just go, whoa, 
right? And so we're, we're blown away by these things and, and, and we're, we're, we're wound, wondered and we're, we're wondering and we're wowed and, and just left perplexed sometimes as how things happen or have happened and what causes them, right? And it, we just say, wow. And the wonders of Christmas can be found very simply, three of them, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. If there's anything that should cause us to wonder, it's Christmas. And to be filled with wonder. Not just thinking, but then just after we're thinking and trying to figure it out, just step back and say, it's too much for me. Wow. When's the last time you did that? You see, we get so caught up trying to rationalize and intellectualize and explain. and There's a place for that. And we put it in neat systems. And that's one of those challenges, as I was talking with a pastor friend of mine last week, of theology itself. That we can get ourselves trapped in. And I'm, I'm sharing this with those of you who are really into Bible study and those of you who are so concerned about theology. And we ought to be. But let me just tell you something, that theology is nothing but systems that we have created and how we can explain and understand God. And certainly there's orthodoxy, meaning history associated with that. But when you have your own theology, the danger is this, is that we start to have our system and we fit everything within the entirety of the system, with the, the scriptures within the system we have. And you know what happens is that sometimes we lose the wonder when it doesn't fit the system that we have established as our theology. <gasps> that doesn't quite fit. Ah, that's the wonder of God. You better accept that. We better accept that. Or if we don't, even Christmas, as I'll get to in a little, we will lose the wonder of Christmas itself is all about. Now, I know, and, and I don't harp on it, I just want to be clear, because it can sap our wonder when we get so tedious into breaking down. And fi- I'm just telling you, those systems will drain you. They will drain you because when you can't find something that fits it, you will lose wonder. The wonder has to be there because you cannot fully systematize or explain or comprehend the unsearchable and unfathomable ways of God. Romans 11.33, right at the end of class. I just, yeah, I just I love that scripture. We can't do it. We do our best. And God helps us. Praise God. And we should. But don't lose the wonder. Because sometimes you have to step back and just say, I don't get it, but this really happened There really is a God. He really did X, Y, and Z. And just step back and go, whoa. That is just wondrous. And I can't explain it. It's okay. It really is okay. I think God intended it to be that way. And that's why Christmas is so wonderful. Verse 15 in in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says this after talking about his call to be an apostle. And about how God had so much mercy. And even in that passage, Paul was dealing with something. Possibly. That he still had a little bit of a a guilt complex going on. For what he did and how he treated Jesus, his creator, and the Lord of his church, and how Paul had treated his church. He was a persecutor and he was a destroyer, an attempted destroyer of the church. And as the Holy Spirit, as God got a hold of him and Jesus spoke to him and arrested him, Something happened, he got transferred, his life was transformed, and the, the one that was persecuting the church was now building up the church and advancing the church and the kingdom of God. 
And he's there saying, and he's expressing, and he's thankful for God's mercy on him. And in verse 15, he says this statement that can stand on its own anywhere you want. Put it in your car. Put it in your room. Put it in your brain. Hide it in your heart. Don't ever leave it. Because Paul says this. This is a trustworthy statement. And everyone should accept it. I'm losing the New Living Translation in this case. That deserves full acceptance in another translation you might have. English Standard or New American. This is what he said. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. Paul is saying, if there's anything you hold on to and need to accept and know and be guaranteed that you can count on it, it's simply this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What else is there, my friends, my brothers and sisters, when we talk about the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of being a child of God if you are born again and saved by the Spirit of God, there's nothing greater than to know this truth that Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. That's it. That should cause us to just bow down and be in awe that that He did that in the first place and came for us, right? And again, when we think about everything surrounding Christmas, let that wonder just grow and that thankfulness and gratitude and awe in your heart and your life grow and grow and grow that Christ Jesus came into the world to save you, sinners. You know, the wonderful fact, if we think about the wonders of this Scripture, first of all, that there's a wonderful fact of Christmas. And it's this. The wonderful fact is that Christ came into the world. Christ came into the world. Now, I don't know, but to know and what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, how Jesus left his heavenly glory, if you will, and he forsook that. He kind of let that go and he emptied himself. And we won't get into all the meanings of that and argue and debate about that. But the bottom line is, That Jesus, who was fully God, came and He put on flesh. He put on, can I just say it? You and me. Who we are. Our our emotions. Our bodies. What we feel. We experience. All the things we have to go through. He put that on because He loved us so much. And yet He was still fully God. Fully God, right? And that's why Paul says, it's really important when you look at words in Scripture, right? And we can go for hours just on this verse. But he says, Christ Jesus. And Paul does this a lot. And in some places, in fact, in Philippians chapter 2, in the beginning he says, Christ Jesus, or maybe it's the other way around. Then he says, Jesus Christ. But he uses both words and he flips the order around for emphasis. Because, because when he is the Christ, it speaks of Jesus being God. Sent by God and being ordained by God and anointed by God as the anointed one to be Jesus, the human who is the deliverer, because Jesus means God saves. Right? So He is the uh, Messiah, the anointed one to save. He is fully God and fully human. You can't miss that. Because you know what? That is wondrous and it is a wonder. Don't try to wrap your mind around that. You can't. You can't. You cannot wrap your mind around that. How the God of the universe, who is fully God, took on humanity and existed on this planet 
both as God 100% and both as a man 100%. You can't do it. You can't do it. But it's a wonder that he did that. And amid all the holiday travel that's going on and going to be happening and all the present giving and all the family gatherings that will take place, don't lose sight of this central fact that Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus came as the anointed Savior, the Deliverer. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because you can. You can. So be careful. This is what makes Christmas Christmas. Right? That's what puts the Christ in Christmas, is the fact that He came. That Christ came into the world is not just a fact, but it's a wonderful fact. A fact that is filled with wonder, as I mentioned, and it's a cause for astonishment. It's a miracle that this happened. Think about this. The birth of Jesus was a miracle because the baby born in Bethlehem that night was God Himself. You've heard this. We've heard this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've gone to Christmas services and Christmas Eve and during this season and you've done your studies and you read Scripture, you've heard this over and over and again. But it bears repeating because it's wonderful that this baby that was born was God Himself taking on human identity, if you will. And the one who created humans in His image took on their image. Think about that. Genesis tells us that Jesus, who was there with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and He's having a conversation saying, let us make man in our image. And there in the first couple chapters of, of Genesis. And then He creates, and Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, that there was every, there is nothing that was made that was not made without Him. And in fact, John says it in chapter 1 as well, in the first few verses. Nothing was made that He didn't make. He was a part of it. He was there at creation. And He was there all along with God because He is God. He's God Himself. And then He creates in His own image, but then He comes down and He condescends. And He takes on our image. I mean, look at me! I don't care what you think about me. I'm not perfect. I sin, you sin. We're, we're, we're blood-blot children of God as Christians. And you know what thing that is wonderful and so wondrous is that I still belong to God. He's still my Savior. He's still my Lord. And He, he became like me. He didn't sin, but He felt everything I felt. Whether it's emotional, whether it's physical. And to think about that, but He came for me. He stepped down for me. For you. He became this little baby and took on flesh. The eternal Creator and the Lord of the universe presented Himself as a newborn infant. Crazy, man. Unbelievable. Let me tell you something. Santa Claus is not real, as you know. And if you still think He is and you're 45 year old, you need help. <laughs> Alright? He just too. He's not real. And listen, because this makes all the Santa Claus mysteries look like kindergarten stuff, preschool stuff, infant stuff. This is amazing that he came and he took on. Listen, I'm going back to John now, as I mentioned. So John chapter 1. Look at the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Paul says, Christ Jesus, right, in Timothy, to designate him as the one who is the second person in the Godhead. Make no mistake about it, God the Son, the anointed deliverer, and here he says that he was there in the beginning in John's Gospel. John makes it very clear. In the beginning was the Word. Now, I want to pause here. As a little side note, as you know, I always do from my notes. This idea that Jesus, or that in the beginning was the Word. Oh boy, we could, you know, you want to talk about debates and theology and all this stuff and people ripping things apart and what it means. Let me, let me just give you a quick synopsis of this, of why it's so important, why John does this. John, the apostle, is writing to Jews and to Greeks. In fact, there were more Greeks than Jews while he was writing this, in the time of his writing, when he, sent, when he wrote this, okay? And, and the language was Greek. I mean, it, the New Testament is written in Greek. And he uses that word logos. But listen, that word logos, before I get to it, is a Greek understanding from their mythology and their false gods. But, but that concept, I'll get to in a minute, what it means, because it's important. But to the Hebrew person who's, who's reading this, then the beginning was the word. I want you just to think, for those of you who know the Bible and who understand Bible history and how God has moved throughout history and who He is by nature. How did He create the universe? By His Word. By His Word. Now, just so you don't let your mind run or think I'm going somewhere. You're not God, so you can't speak things into existence. Okay? End of story. You can't. You cannot do that. And the scripture is clear. But God did. And God spoke and it happened. Now, it was God's voice speaking to to Moses and to to Abraham and that conversation when the covenants were made and that altar is there in chapter 15 of Genesis and God is there. And and Moses takes those birds and he splits it in half and the fire goes through those two pieces of, of bird that are there and consumes it and God seals that covenant. There were words exchanged. And then on and on and on, it was the Word of God. The Hebrew people understood that God was the Word. It was the mind, His intent, His will that was conveyed and manifested and made reality. By by the way, you can't do that either. Only God can do that. Now, jumping to the Greeks, why it's Logos is because for the Greek person who understood this Word and then their mythology and everything else and false gods, the idea that this, of this Word and the Word of their gods was that it meant it was the mind of their God. Right? What originates from their mind, their intent, their will, and there's, so there's a slight connection to that, to even that audience, even though it was false gods. But it was what was in the center of their will, the heart, the center, the being of their gods that was manifested through words and it was conveyed through their servants and things became reality, even though they're all fantasy. Right? But that was God, and He says He was the Word, and He was always there because He existed and created, and nothing exists that was created without Him. He was part of it. He is the Word. And that life was in Him, He says, and the life was a light of men, and it shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, overtake it. Think about it. Here is the omniscient One, the Word of God, crying and cooing, and He's unable to talk in that manger. Here's the omnipotent one. He's helpless and he's dependent and needing his diaper changed. Here's the creator of all the food that exists on the earth, if you will. And he's taking milk from his mother's breast. 
Man, that's God who came down to live that way among us. And here's the omnipresent one who's everywhere at once present. Don't try to wrap your mind around that either, by the way, because you'll hurt. Lying in a manger in a stable in a small town in this tiny little country on this little mound maybe of rock and dirt in one little speck of a corner of the entire cosmos that he created. Wow. And then there's me and you. I'll just say that so you can think about that. Because there's me and you. But he came. What a wonder that this was the one that Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier that he would be Emmanuel in 714 when he spoke to Ahaz about a sign that the virgin would conceive and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That wasn't the thinking of most of those who were living in John's time or even, even Paul's time. Because the Greeks understood and believed and many other people believed that this flesh, this body, because it's sinful, there's no way that God could inhabit that and be here and still be holy and be right and, and make things right and reveal the truth and convey everything God, the Creator, wanted. In fact, that's addressed in the first epistle of John. If anyone says that Jesus did not come in the flesh, you're a liar. Right? You have to believe that, that He came in the flesh. And there's reason for that because of the cultural context. But even for us, Jesus really did live in the flesh on this earth. So that wonderful fact of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came into the world. What a wonder that is. What other God does that? Every other God throughout human history that has been created never came down and dwelt among His people. It was always trying to reach up to the God and get a hold of Him somehow. But Jesus came and gets a hold of us in humanity. Amen? Secondly, our text also states what Paul says, that there's a wonderful, not just a wonderful fact that Jesus came as God and man, but that there's a wonderful purpose for this event. It's awe-inspiring. It's humbling. It's mind-blowing. It's, it's not right. It's not fair. It shouldn't be. It's just beyond what we should get. But he states this wonderful pers- purpose. And he says that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why? To save sinners. To save sinners. Now, if there is ever a purpose that is awe-inspiring and wonderful and causes us to wonder and just go, wow, it's this. That the purpose of this fact that Jesus came was to save you and me from our sins. John chapter 1, I'm back in John chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. John says there was a man sent from God whose name was John, Jesus' cousin. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light. These words are not by accident. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This idea of light and darkness doesn't need much explanation, even for those who might not even know Jesus, frankly. Because darkness is always symbolic with evil and sin and everything that is upside down and wrong and opposed to God. 
And the world was like that. And here the light comes. And, and John says, even about John the Baptist, he was not the light. But he came to testify and to tell about that light who could shine light and give life through that light to those who were in the darkness of their sin and in bondage to an eternity, frankly, that would lead to separation from God and death and the wrath of God forever. Right? That, that's what he was talking about here. And he says here that that true light gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He's the only one. He's the true light. There are many lights. Listen, we, we love, I love hearing, I, I've got to be careful when I say this. I love when I hear it. And it's spoken of so much. Oh, you know, when you hear news reports or these charitable things happen or people are saving the planet or they're working and they, they, they praise the human spirit. The human spirit that can bond and we can get together and we can do something. Now listen, that's all good. Okay, because we, we do. We, 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 we have a united front and purpose, even as Christians, and for a cause, I get that. But listen, those are not lights that can save you. And that, that light that shines out of compassion, and however you define it, even if it's outside of Scripture, that is not light. That is still darkness compared to Jesus, who is the true light. Okay? Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you don't do good. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, is that we deceive ourselves into thinking that our good works and our pulling together and doing good things, that we're shedding light upon a dark corner of the world. And on some level we do. I understand that. But not the true light. The one that shines and manifests all the yuck and just grossness of sin and wickedness and deception inside of every single human heart now i know it's christmas and that's not wonderful to hear it's not comfortable to hear but it still remains the fact for why jesus came and it becomes the purpose of why he came because our own light will never get us anywhere on our own only jesus is the true light amen And so He came for that purpose to save sinners who are walking in darkness. Christmas teaches us valuable lessons about love and joy and peace, right? But its real purpose is very specific. Jesus came to save sinners from the consequences of their sin. Can't state it any simpler. There is no simpler way. The ultimate consequence, just for your clarification, of course, is to suffer the eternal wrath of God in hell. That's not nice to hear either. It's not. I don't, it's, I don't like hearing that, but it's the truth. And the light was necessary to reveal that and make that even more plain and clear to those who heard the truth through Jesus and all His teachings on those who came after. Amen? The Word of God. Jesus came to save us from this, right? And we know by taking that wrath upon Himself through His death on the cross. He did it for us. He went on that cross for us. And that's the greatest wonder of Christmas. Not just that Christ came into the world, but that He came anyway, knowing what we would have to go through before He could leave it. Right? Knowing what He would have to go through before He'd leave it again. Knowing all along that the destination was the cross of Calvary. That He would die. And He knew that it would not be an ordinary death. It would be tough. It would be brutal. It would be gross. It would be shameful. It would be disgusting. It would be something that no one, a spectacle that no one ever saw, right? He knew he would experience the equivalent 
of eternity in hell for all human beings. Again, I, I don't know that for sure. But what he experienced when he died, he experienced the equivalent of all that would mean for all of us and took it upon himself and then conquered it. But still he came. Amen? And in a sense, walking straight into the jaws of hell to save us from it. What a wonder that someone would do that for us. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, doesn't that move you? Doesn't that cause you to just melt inside in worship and awe and reverence and realize, Jesus, You're awesome, You're wonderful, and I'm filled with that awe because Your purpose in coming was to save sinners. The wonder of all of this, if I could add, that Jesus came for this purpose, was that this purpose came at the right time. Now, I'm always blown away, and I always wonder, and I'm in awe, when things always happen at just the right time, or in the nick of time, or someone comes through and you didn't think they would, you were hoping, and then they do, and you're like, yes, that's awesome. That's great. I'm so grateful. And that's what happened with Jesus. At the right time, He came, right? And Jesus, and if you read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 15, Paul says that this wonderful purpose to save was perfectly timed. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, the other translations say, at the right time, right? More loose ones or more paraphrased translations. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, for what reason? Here's that purpose again. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions and sons and be in His family. At the right time. It means that everything was swelling up like a balloon, right? That you keep filling it up and you keep filling it up like a blast on Thursday night and you keep blowing it and all of a sudden too much and it just goes pop. You know, and you got pieces of balloon all over the place, right? That's what was happening in the world and in, among people and among global events. It was all swelling up so that at that moment, bang, Jesus would come exactly when the Father wanted and everything was in its perfect place, first of all, historically. You know, historically, everything was there because there's an amazing thing in history with the Greek culture. There was a universal language that everybody understood and could speak. And then there was stability among the governments in this time when Jesus came. It doesn't mean everybody was happy. It just means there was stability. There wasn't wars and and empires trying to take over each other. There was stability in, in that time when Jesus was born. Right? The Romans built a road system. They could travel. The Roman roads were famous and known, right? And now, this is amazing because God's timing is so perfect for Jesus to be born because now the good news, the gospel, the birth of Jesus could be spread on these roads so much more efficiently and faster. And in Greek, everyone understood, Jesus is born. They might share that, right? And then spiritually, the time was right as well. We've heard this over the past few weeks and maybe many times in your lifetime in sermons and in your studies, but the time was right spiritually because the law had run its course. Enough. It proved once and for all that we could never satisfy God's holiness and righteousness and and fulfill and keep His law ever. And so Jesus said enough. I mean, God said enough. I'm taking matters into my own hands. Jesus, go down. Be born for the purpose to save sinners because spiritually they are dark and lost and they will never get out of this bondage to sin 
unless you go and pay the price once and for all. Now, if I stop and think, I'm getting ahead of myself a little, but I have to just say that some of you are sitting here this morning. You also know that this purpose in Jesus coming to save sinners came at the right time of you for you personally as well. Right? You were at a point in your life before you, we met Jesus or when you met Jesus. We always say, use all kinds of expressions. You were in the bottom of the barrel. You were in the dumps. You were in the gutter. You were the lowest of low. And then you realize you had to look up and there was Jesus. Right? And there's all kinds of convergence of events and people and circumstances and feelings and your spiritual state and whatever it was. And all of a sudden, the light came on because God touched you and you realized the wonder of the purpose of Jesus coming. There was a right time personally for all of us. It was appointed by God, of course. But it was a right time when, you were, when your balloon was so full of icky, yucky stuff, you were about to burst. Jesus came and stopped you from bursting. He saved you. Not because of anything you did, but because of His great mercy and His grace in your life. Alright, the last great wonder of Christmas in this scripture is the wonderful confession that you see by the Apostle Paul. There is a wonderful confession. He says Christ came to save sinners. And you can bank on it. It's trustworthy. It should be accepted by everyone. And then he says, of whom I am the worst or the foremost. He confessed The Apostle Paul confessed, I still sin, I'm a sinner. I'm a saint, I'm a child of God, I belong to Him. I'm not perfect, and I do things I don't want to do. As you wrote in Romans chapter 7, And the things that I want to do, I don't do, and vice versa. And Jesus Christ, at the end of that chapter, He says, is the one who rescues me from this dilemma that I'm in. Because He's my Savior and my Lord. And He still feels so humbled by the fact That Jesus would save him after all that he had done. I don't know what you think you've done. I don't know how much you think you've done that is vile, disgusting, wicked, evil, deceptive. You fill in the blanks. Not good. Sinful. It's not too much for Jesus to take that away. Some of you still struggle with that but He takes it away. He does. And you don't have to live that way anymore. And you don't have to be stuck in your guilt and feel like you're always a victim or that everyone's against you or that you're struggling. No, you are free from that because of what Jesus did. Even though, And you go back to Him and you tell Him, you came for me and I'm still a sinner. And I might be the worst if, if, if Paul makes that confession. And it's an amazing confession. Look, Our personal celebrations of Christmas are often governed by external circumstances, right? Some think think that Christmas is ruined by poverty, right? No money, no presents, no Christmas. That can't be Christmas. Others think it is ruined by being alone or away from family, and that's, that's hard. No family, no loved ones, no Christmas. For others, personal sickness or tragedy robs this whole season of all the meaning that it has, right? My father just died. 
My mother just died. My son just died. How, how can I think of Christmas? How can I go there? Actually, I want to encourage you and just let you know that you only need one thing to have a meaningful Christmas. You could be poor. You could be alone. You could be sick. You could be in sorrow. But your Christmas will still be filled with meaning and wonder if you realize and confess you are the sinner that Christ came to save. I'm grateful. I am so thankful. I am so filled with wonder that God could even look at me. That God could even still accept me because of what Jesus did. And I can go every day and just... I mean, it's overwhelming to know that I can still go and know when I go to Him that I'm His. And He came to save me and I belong to Him. That He shed the light on my darkness and then He calls me to be His own. And it's amazing because this morning you've got to hear in John chapter 1 again. There's many other verses that connect that I didn't read, but I'm just picking some. Chapter 10 to 13, you've got to hear this. It says about the Word. And by the way, John reveals who the Word is and doesn't leave it a mystery. In those first 18 verses of, of John 1, he calls Him Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God's Son. He, you, you'll find that. The Christ is in there. He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and yet the world did not recognize Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. You can't do anything on your own to be right with God or to get into His family. Jesus did it all. He invites you to be a part of it. When you make this confession, you know the real reason for Christmas. We often hear that Jesus is, this is, this is the truth, I want you to take this to heart. We often hear that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? You fill it in, right? It's not true. It's not true at all. Sinners, you and I, are the reason for the season. We don't think that way, but it is. We're the reason that we have this season. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate. He's the purpose, the Lamb of God, as we heard last week. But listen, it's what a wonder. Listen, most people have lost the true meaning of Christmas because they have no consciousness of being sinners before God. But you know what? Maybe some of you are right now and you realize my light is darkness. I have sin in my life. I'm a sinner before God and I, I'm not perfect. I need Him. And these people, they miss the point of Christmas altogether. And as Christians though, right? Talking to Christians, we know who we are. We are sinners. We sin, right? By definition. So we're sinners. But, and maybe even some of you might think you're the worst of them or you have been the worst of them. But I will say this. Thanks be to God. Because of Christmas, we are saved. What a wonder. And I often wonder if I could just kind of add my own little thing here. As I added this this morning because I just felt compelled. And I wonder, when we think about these three wonders, 
in Paul's short verse and statement there that we can stand on. I wonder myself, and sometimes I am even in wonder, how people miss Christmas. I'm in wonder. I'm in awe. I'm blown away that it can even happen in the first place, and I, I'm perplexed, but I sometimes am not surprised. And you know what I think it is? I think that there's just a couple quick reasons. I think that sometimes we or people miss Christmas because we're just so familiar with the story. Familiarity, man. Like that's you just go through the routine of things and, and you miss what's there. That's all we see is the outside, and we we don't plunge deeper and, and dig down deeper and understand the amazing beauty and wonder of what Jesus did and coming for us. And we just carry on. We know the shepherds are there, the wise men came, we know Jesus came on earth, but then we just kind of carry on and we lose the wonder. And it's we know it, but nothing's happening here. Another thing is that we're so busy. How many times have... I mean, I've, I've mentioned this quite a bit in the past year in different contexts, but slow down. We're running around doing everything we're supposed to. We've got to slow down and, and make room in our schedule for, to, to, to be in wonder of what's happened on this planet and, and, and in our lives because of Jesus coming. Slow down. When we're so busy, we get distracted and our attention goes off of what's important and we focus on the busyness and the little things that take all of our time and our attention slow down. You know what else happens? Like King Herod, when the wise men came, sometimes we, get, we feel threatened. You might know the story and there are some of you maybe here this morning, you've heard the Christmas story, you know what, that Jesus came for you. But you're not ready because you, like Herod, you are so scared, you want to take care of and hide and, 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 and put away all the things that threaten right your place on the throne of your own heart. Herod wanted to still be on the throne, and he was scared because Jesus came and he heard he's the king that's come and been born, and you know what, the Messiah, and he was afraid. And then he, he did some horrible things. He had little baby boys killed. That's how threatened he felt. Listen, if you're feeling threatened today, I want to tell you something. That this King Jesus who wants to be Lord of your life, not just your Savior, He's a good God. He's a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He knows how to take care of you. He's not going to pulverize you. He's not going to rebuke you to the point and just scream at you and make you... He, he'll correct you because He cares for you. But He is going to love you and take care of you and guide you He's compassionate and He's gentle and he's, he's humble. He loves you. If you feel threatened, I want to promise you that according to facts of history and according to the Word of God, Jesus is not out to hurt you or to take you away your ability to choose. He will just help you to choose the right thing all the time when you trust Him with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength. And lastly, and probably most importantly, before we pray, we feel like, and a lot of people miss Christmas and the wonder of Christmas and Paul's statements here, because we mess up. I'm going back to what I mentioned earlier. I'm saying we mess up, but I want to just make it a little more specific. We sin. We go against what God has says we should do, and we do the opposite. And we do it a lot. How can I possibly go to God? How can I possibly, how is He going to accept me? How is He going to open His arms to me when I'm dirty and filthy and sinful and, 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 and I am not perfect? 
the evidence is all around us, isn't it? We live in an imperfect world with big messes, man. Big messes. The Apostle Paul wrote that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And we feel that we're not worthy to be with Him, that He's holy. Not to mention that we would take time out for Him and and believe that He accepts us when we come to Him with our whole hearts. But that's why He came. That's why He came. And because we mess up, because we sin and are sinful, that is exactly why we need Him in our lives. So that He can pull us out of them. Once and for all. Amen? I mean, God through Paul's words in our text makes an appeal to you and me. Listen to it again. This is a trustworthy statement. And everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Have you accepted this statement for the truth that it is? Jesus came for you. He came for you. Accept Him. By believing on Him and that He died for your sins and He rose again to restore your relationship with God And the wonder of Christmas will be yours not just in this season, right? But all year long. Like every day. And when you fall down before Him and you realize and wonder, even today, Jesus, You came for me. Thank You, thank You, thank You. I can't believe You did it. I can't believe how You did it. But You did it at the exact perfect time with an amazing purpose to pull me out of my sin, to make me Your child, to be in Your family. You did it so perfectly. And I'm filled with wonder. Would you accept Him today by believing on Him? The wonder will be Yours, I promise. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for your amazing plan of redemption. That you loved humanity so much. You loved me. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus. And Jesus, that you came. You humbled yourself. You were fully God and fully man, which is just mind-blowing. You experienced and lived through everything we do, and you did it without sin. The only one ever to live on this earth to do that. And because of that, we thank you that as John the Baptist said, you were called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are a wonderful Savior. Lord, fill our hearts and our minds with wonder that you would consider us so much to come for us. May we rejoice in your plan of salvation, but may we also now, as the shepherds were, be heralds of the news that marvels us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And as we go, we commit to celebrating with joy and humility your amazing love for us and coming for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Bank on the words of the Apostle Paul. Amen.